Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, April 16, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we're now a little over a week removed from the end of the college basketball season. Norlander, have you settled into your off-season life just yet? Have things calmed for you at all? Um... Work-wise, they've calmed a bit. Uh, Family-wise, I mean, I'm, I'm battling a cold, so I might be a slight bit nasally here. We'll take this normally. Like, the past three years, I've actually gotten a cold at the Final Four. I, I dodged that, ironically, in the coldest of all spots. Uh, so uh, dealing with that, and then the kids, my, my, my baby uh, is also uh, has a cold like me. But, yeah, we're settling. Although, you know, it's, it's uh, you really kind of – you don't necessarily ease into it because season ends – and, listen, all these kids transferring, which we're obviously going to get to, uh, draft decisions, like, you know, thankfully we don't and shouldn't have to write about all these decisions. But it, it now compared to six, seven years ago, GP, from transfer decisions that get made uh, in the in the month of April and then the freedom that these players rightfully should have to, to clear for the draft, it's just there's just a little more noise around college basketball than there used to be. And I guess that's probably a good thing. And then obviously we still have coaching stuff that we're keeping an eye out on. We still have, uh, I think, like 10 jobs still have to technically close. So, um, yeah, it's slowed a little bit, uh, but I'm happy to be talking to you again and uh, podcasting. We are not short on discussion topics, that's for sure. Now, from my perspective, the only decisions on transfers or um, NBA draft stuff that matter are decisions that are surprising. Like, it doesn't really matter to me that yesterday Zion Williamson announced that he's entering the NBA draft. Like, we've all known forever that Zion Williamson was entering the NBA draft. Um, to you know, the, the ones that matter are when guys who you thought were coming back to school announced they're not coming back to school, or guys you thought were definitely in the draft announced that they're definitely not in the draft that they're that they're instead going to return to college for at least another season. And then transfers, uh, you know, I don't know what the number is. It's four hundred or five hundred or five million, but like ninety nine percent of them just do not matter. Um, only a handful of them actually matter when relevant players from relevant teams announce that they're going to move. They're the only ones that resonate nationally. And obviously we had um, one yesterday with Sam and Joey Hauser announcing they're going to transfer from Marquette. And we're going to get to that um, in just a little while. But I wanted to start on LSU's announcement on Sunday, uh, right after Tiger won the Masters, right before Game of Thrones was about to start. So it was perfectly, uh, perfectly placed. LSU announced that it has reinstated Will Wade as its men's basketball coach. Um, so two questions. Are you surprised by this? And two, do you think he'll actually coach another game at LSU? Because LSU did not go that far by saying we stand by our coach or we look forward to a bright future they just basically said we met with him he um, denied wrongdoing and quote his explanations and clarifications offered during the meeting absent actual evidence of misconduct satisfy his contractual obligation to LSU in other words uh, we don't know that we can fire him for cause right now so he's reinstated as our basketball coach and they just sort of left it there right yeah. All right. First, we we have to be, as always on this podcast, except in the matters of some, some trivia times, we have to be intellectually honest here. We're both surprised by this, correct? Yeah. If you would have asked me a month ago, do I think Will Wade will ever be reinstated as LSU's basketball coach, I would have said no. So by definition, I'm surprised by this. I am surprised as well by this, um, and I'm not the only one. Probably talk to... 
I don't know, perish like 20 coaches over the past two weeks, mostly at the Final Four, some over phone that thought there was no shot of this happening. Whatever Will Wade said to LSU administrators and most directly his boss, Joe Oliva, who, by the way, is in a weird spot now because LSU fans hate him, but they also really like him for freeing Will Wade at this point. Um, Will Wade was able to provide explanations uh, that satisfied Oliva and other LSU brass to to give him his coaching duties again. Now, he, there's been the question of why didn't he do this to start with? Well, he has a new lawyer. So whatever tact he was going with before, um, he got rid of that um, lawyer and brought in a new attorney. And I can't tell you what those discussions were like, but this is... This is a bit weird. I mean, we are on the doorstep of a second federal trial, and I don't, I'm not exceedingly confident that Will Wade is going to have to go to the stand. Now, the defense is going to want him to go to the stand, but the federal government, the prosecution, is not going to want that to happen. They've already filed a motion to not allow it to happen. But if he does, like LSU could look pretty ridiculous here in in a relatively short amount of time if things really go the wrong way for Wade and LSU if he's called to the stand and is asked very pointed questions which obviously uh, we would expect him to be but we wait to see if he'll do that and if Sean Miller will do that it's a juicy as hell storyline there's no doubt about it um, it's got coaches some of them uh, pretty angry and frustrated and annoyed I wish a, a lot of these coaches would be willing the way that Mark Few has to to speak a bit more on the record about it. Now we're also in a weird time on the calendar. The Final Four is over. The, like the coaches aren't having press conferences. You know they're not they're not really seeking out the media spotlight. And even if uh, you or I were to to call them up, that they're not they're not exactly seeking this. But make no mistake about it. Like the fact that Bruce Pearl kept his job, made a Final Four. Uh, Sean Miller is still at Arizona. Will Wade uh, has survived this short term, long term. We wait and see. Um, it has definitely annoyed a lot of coaches because when they step back and look in the broad view, they see, yes, for sure, there have been assistant coaches that have uh, pleaded guilty and will be seeing some uh, amount of jail time. And that's not even what these coaches are looking for. They're just looking for more responsibility on the whole. And I'll tie this up real quick, GP, because, uh, you know, we, we don't need to go 45 minutes on this whole thing because I know we're going to be talking about it plenty. Um but eventually what these coaches are looking for is going to have to come down via the NCAA, which has not started. Um, well, I guess it started, but it hasn't really, you know, dug all the way in yet because the federal government hasn't completed its trial. So if, if they're looking for more punishment, more action, more responsibility to be placed on the shoulders of these coaches and others that I haven't even uh, brought up at this point. That should, I, th I, ex I expect it to come, but it's going to be months, if not years down the road. And so, yeah, in the short term, I can understand why uh, some coaches just throw their hands in there and say, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, Will Wade, okay, yeah, he didn't get to coach in the NCAA tournament, which is no small thing, but he just goes to his bosses, supplies some sort of answer, and despite the fact that you've got multiple reports uh, claiming that he is – uh, essentially breaking the rules. There's just, I'm sorry, there's no way around it. He he was discussing uh, offers for Javante Smart that any pragmatic person would deem outside the NCAA rulebook, and then here he is again uh, back and resuming his coaching duty amid what should be huge roster turnover at LSU. It is an unexpected and fascinating storyline. I got uh, a handful of unsolicited you know, text messages from coaches and they were all pretty consistent. Like it's an absolute joke, you know, like totally disgraceful, like coaches who are really offended that, that he's been reinstated as LSU's coach because um, 
I'm sorry. I say this as somebody who's known Will for a long time, who likes Will on a personal level. There's just no way to read the uh, the transcript of what he reportedly said on a wiretap and conclude anything other than that he was doing a deal for Javante Smart. Um, there's no believable story he could tell. There's just not. Um, you know, on that wiretap, as long as we accept it um, as it's been reported, and there's no reason to think that um, we shouldn't, if only because, well, there's two reasons. One, it comes from reputable reporters, but 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 two, oh, even Will Wade himself hasn't denied that he said what he reportedly said on the wiretap. And what he reportedly said on the wiretap is he's expressing frustration that he can't get the deal done for Javante Smart, even though he's already put a strong-ass offer on the table. And then, this is the thing that gets lost by some, um, he compares it to other deals he's done in the past for comparable players. Yeah. And says, um, you know, he's done, he's done deals for comparable players to Javante Smart that haven't been nearly this complicated. And so, again, any reasonable... Um, person would conclude from that that not only is he discussing a deal that's you know about to soon be in place for Javante Smart but he's comparing it to deals he's done in the past in other words I'm trying to cheat to get this kid and I've cheated in the past to get other kids just like him that's what's on the wiretap and um again there's no there's no believable story that that he could tell that would make people go oh okay so that's oh I see you didn't really mean what it appeared you meant no, nobody will believe him other than diehard LSU fans. Um, and I and I say this like I, I I should I talk to people that consider him a friend at the Final Four who like him very much, and they're just like it is what it is. Like he, you know, he's not the only one who does that, but he got he is he got caught, and he did get caught. Yeah. And so you know, again, like nobody makes him out to be the devil. Like it doesn't mean he's a bad husband or a bad father or a bad person. It just means that he's a, a, a high major coach who was willing um, to break major NCAA rules. Doesn't make him unique, but it the fact that he's on a wiretap discussing it does make him in a um, does put him in a pretty you know obviously bad place. What happened Sunday doesn't suggest to me that LSU believes him. What it suggests to me is that LSU's lawyers have decided we cannot fire him for calls right now. And that LSU's administration has decided if we can't fire him for cause, we're not going to fire him. We'll let the NCAA thing unfold however it unfolds. We'll let the federal case unfold however it unfolds. And perhaps one day we will have um, what we need to fire him for cause. But we don't feel like we have it right now. So our only option, short of paying him millions of dollars to go away, because if they tried to fire him for cause, he would immediately file a lawsuit and you know that would get... Um, that would be lengthy and be costly. So what they've decided, the best I can tell, is that we don't have um, we don't have what we need to fire him for cause right now. We're not going to fire him without cause, and so our only real option is to reinstate him. You know, perhaps forever, or uh, you know, if not that, until we have an, what we need to fire him for cause. Because again, the statement from Joe Oliva does not say he provided explanations that we found credible. It doesn't say that we look forward to a, a, a long future with Will Wade. It doesn't say we stand by our coach. It says Coach Wade's explanations and clarifications offered during the meeting, absent actual evidence of misconduct, satisfy his contractual obligation to LSU. Um, that's a carefully worded statement. And so, 
you know, the question becomes, will there ever be, as the LSU statement puts it, um, actual evidence of misconduct? Obviously, the circumstantial evidence is, is, is clear as day. And we all know what happened with Javante Smart and perhaps other players who were on this past season's LSU team. But I will say this. Javante Smart just entered the NBA draft. So did Nas Reed. So did Tremont Waters. In other words, the players that would be most likely to perhaps have been enrolled under uh, circumstances that fall outside of the NCAA rulebook, they are now outside of the NCAA's umbrella. They don't ever have to talk to the NCAA. They don't ever have to return a text message, return a letter, enough email, nothing. And so if, and let's just say it hypothetically, if it went down like this, Will Wade gets cash from a booster, gives it to whoever he needs to give it to, connected to Javante Smart to get a deal done. Well, as long as Javante Smart and the people are surrounding him never talk, because they don't have to anymore, and as long as Will Wade says it didn't happen, yeah, you might have heard me discussing what you think you heard, but I didn't, I'm telling you I never paid anybody. I've never broken an NCAA rule. If he denies it and the people connected to Javante Smart never have to talk to the NCAA and there's no paper trail because it was a cash transaction, how do you prove it? I mean, there's a whole bunch of cash transactions that go on in college basketball that do not have a paper trail, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so I do think it's possible that as long as he just makes sure nobody who can can talk on him, as long as he makes sure they don't talk and he just denies everything, it, it might be difficult for the NCAA to prove anything, and he might actually continue as LSU's coach, even if LSU knows must know that he built that team that just won um, a whole bunch of games. He built it outside of the NCAA rulebook. He's on a wiretap admitting it, basically. Yeah, that possibility is out there. Um, What you said about the LSU administration and its lawyers, I agree with completely. Um, I'm still not convinced he's going to be the LSU coach at the start of next season. And... The next step is the trial that starts next week, what we get from that, and if he has to go to the stand, and what we find out from there. And, I mean, I find it hard to believe that the NCAA will not find some way to punish LSU eventually over this. I know what you're saying in terms of all the players that have no obligation anymore, so long as they stay uh, committed to their professional them, dreams. And them dudes return. ain't coming back to school. I know. No chance. Uh, by the way, I th- uh, also I had, yeah. had a coach suggest to me, and he was just just talking. He has no reason to believe this actually happened. But like one coach um, said to me, like, why, if you're Will Wade, why wouldn't you just also pay Javante Smart to stay out of college? Like, why why wouldn't you pay Tremont Waters now to get out of college? Like, whatever you have to do to make it right by the people who could maybe bring you down, get them, make it right, get them out of college, and make sure they never speak on you. Like, even if it costs you another hundred grand, if it keeps your $2 million a year job, why wouldn't you do that? Um, like, I, I, I promise you, the dudes who could bring Will Wade down, they ain't coming back to school. And therefore, who's the NCAA going to talk to about this? It's going to, the NCAA, to answer the question directly, what the NCAA will do is it will use anything and everything it can because its rulebook now allows for this. Uh, in whatever realm LSU might come up in the second trial, it will use anything it possibly can to stick to LSU and potentially Will Wade. 
Um, that is its get-out-of-jail-free card is not the right metaphor here, but that is the way that it will try and do this. If it, if it, uh, or if if it just simply requests to to talk to Wade, Wade's going to have to talk to the NCAA. Now it's a matter of okay, if you talk to him, uh, what can you prove? What you can't? And if the NCAA, you know, dares catch you in a lie, then you're in some serious trouble there. So that there's that, and then there's what the NCAA thinks that it. Uh, it finds credible that could be entered into evidence at the trial. That's where he could get picked off, not necessarily through players that aren't going to return to school. So just keep an eye on that. It, hey, listen, unexpected headline. There's no doubt about it. Very few people in college basketball really expected Will Wade, once he wasn't coaching in the NCAA tournament, to ever return to his post there. Um, but, geez, the SEC, between the, the, the number of really good head coaching hires – uh, to the programs that are rolling now, uh, to Will Wade back in the fold. It is uh, the most interesting conference, I think, right now in college basketball and could get a lot more interesting depending on what we see happen uh, in downtown Manhattan next week and then into early May. To your point, and then we'll move on, about Will having to speak with the NCAA, and if you get caught lying, you're in big, big trouble. The most obvious example of that is Bruce Pearl at Tennessee. Like, Bruce, people always... You know, when talking about that, they say, ah, he got fired for having a barbecue. No, he didn't. He got fired for lying to the NCAA. That's what happened. And um, it was obviously stupid to lie to the NCAA. They just panicked. And they thought that they could construct a story and get um, Aaron Kraft's father to play along with it. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, or really just good advice from a lawyer, you know, what a good lawyer would have told Bruce and his assistants at that time was, Go in there and cop to it. Like, just say, yes, Aaron Kraft was at my house. Um, it was an unofficial visit, and um, they just showed up. And I didn't want to be rude because, like, we're recruiting the kid. We want him to enroll at Tennessee. And so I didn't, I didn't just rush him out of the house or say, you can't be here. But eventually I made it clear that, hey, you know, like, I, I, I love you. I, I love you here, and I wish you could stay all day. But, like, if this were to you know, th- this is technically a rules violation. So, uh, you know, we need you to leave. Um, and then they left and that was it. And it would have been a secondary violation. They would have taken a recruiting visit away. It would not have been a big deal. The lying is what got them in trouble. And so obviously for Bruce, it was stupid to lie. But here's the thing. For Will Wade, the only thing to do is lie. Because w- Bruce was in a totally different situation. Bruce's truth would have resulted in not a big deal. But if if the allegations against Will Wade, if you admit to those, you're fired. So, like, people always say um, there's never a good time to lie or you should always tell the truth. That's just not true. When the truth will get you fired, just like the lie will get you fired, you might as well go ahead and lie and try to get away with it. And so you might t- think it takes some some big you-know-whats to sit down and lie to the NCAA while knowing if you get caught lying, that's going to be the end of you. But if you tell the truth, yes, of course I was on a wiretap discussing a deal for Javante Smart, and we got it done. It cost $55,000, whatever it is. That, that truth also gets you fired. And so when the truth results in the same thing that getting caught lying results in, the the best path for you is to just go ahead and try to lie and see if you can get away with it. And he might just get away with it. It's I'm, not He wouldn't be the first. I'm picturing you with a briefcase like you are Will Wade's lawyer and having this conversation with him right now. It's absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, it, like, 
under <laughs> under Bruce Pearl's circumstances, vision. the best thing would have been to tell the truth, admit to your minor violation, get dinged a little bit, but keep your job. Will cannot tell the truth. If we're assuming, for the sake of the conversation, the truth is that, yes, I did a deal for Javante Smart. You cannot tell that truth. You tell that truth, you get fired. And so if the truth's going to get you fired, you might as well try to lie, right? I If he comes out of this with his job still, I say he goes from Will to Bill. He's Bill Wade <laughs> after this. That's, that's all. <laughs> if you somehow just a complete, complete turn, just uh, the next step, uh, the, the evolution of Will Wade to Bill Wade, I think that's, uh, that's, that's what we've <laughs> well, got to refer to him if he, if he survives this. Well, the other thing LSU um, has to figure out is, like, do, is this really what you want? And maybe, maybe they, just, they just don't care. Maybe. But even if, it's, if, if it costs you millions of dollars to just break free and start fresh, like, is it worth doing? Because even if you do not have actual evidence to fire Will Wade for cause, everybody knows exactly who your coach is now. And this is going to follow him and you for however long he's there. Anything you accomplish is going to be tainted by the wiretap and the phrase strong-ass offer. And, like, is that really how you want to spend the next few years? Because that is how you will spend the next few years. Uh, obviously, they've decided at this point, yes, we don't want to fire him for co- we don't want to fire him without cause. Um, and if we can't fire him without cause, then we're just going to keep him. But I, I still don't know if that's the smart thing for them to do. Because again, um, first off, you're losing your whole team. You're about to be terrible next season. And then, how difficult is it to rebuild when you know you you probably can't build it the way you just built it before. I mean, now, now you got all ball, eyeballs all over you. Um, people are going to assume every good recruit that goes to LSU has been bought and paid for. Like, is that really, is that really uh, ideal for Louisiana State University? I'd say probably not, but that, that might actually be the path they go down. We'll see. We shall see. All right, what else we want to hit on here? Well, Marquette just lost two key pieces to transfer. It's uh, rough stuff for Steve Wojciechowski. We're going to get into that next, but first, uh, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Marquette just lost two key pieces to transfer. Sam and Joey Hauser announced on Monday that they are transferring from the Big East school. Sam Hauser averaged this past season 14.9 points and 7.2 rebounds. His brother Joey, 9.7 points, 
5.3 rebounds. You add that up with your iPhone calculator, it's 24.6 points and 12.5 rebounds gone from Marquette. This was uh, the team's second and third leading score. So Marquette, you know, with a snap of the fingers, uh, goes from a team that was set to return its top seven scores to a team that's now losing two of its top three scores. I had Marquette in the top ten of the preseason top 25 and one. As you know, uh, because I consulted you on it, I dropped them completely out after this. I mean, that is, in terms of off-season departures, I think it's reasonable to say, in an unexpected way, Marquette's been hit harder than anybody. Obviously, Duke losing R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish is, uh, you know, uh, big losses. Virginia losing DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, big losses. But those are not unexpected. We all assumed that's exactly what was going to happen. This is uh, this is unexpected, and it, it really does take, I think, Marquette from the favorite in the Big East to something significantly less than that. Parrish, this is a, I mean, this was a shocker to me. Um, I didn't hear, you know, anything remotely about these guys transferring out. It comes three days removed from Marcus Howard announcing he was returning to school. I don't disagree with you dropping Marquette out of the top 25 and one. I think the Hauser brothers were that important. And although Marcus was still, even with them in the Rost in the fold, um, set to have another, I think, huge statistical year, I thought that those guys would have combined for 26, 27, 28 points per game. And the three of them would have made, I think, for the most uh, potent scoring trio in college basketball. Okay, so a few things to unpack. Um, the timing, right? This happens. So uh, Howard, I, I think it was Friday, GP, announced he was returning to school, which was, you know, uh, more expected than not, but you never know. And then you get that, and that's big time. So then these guys leave. And I, I, I haven't poked around on this yet. Um, between watching my kids being sick and prepping for this podcast, I just haven't, uh, haven't dug into this. So this is complete speculation for me which we always appreciate on the podcast. But, hey, how are we returning? Did that have an impact on the, on the Housers leaving? Can't help but wonder with that. Uh, pe- people, people think so, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. That's, why I'm, yeah, uh, that's also why I'm bringing it up. That, the thing, the, the one directly correlates to the other. And this, you know, maybe because, it, you know, Howard is a – he is a ball-dominant point guard, combo guard, lead guard, however you want to describe him. Like, he, he is – Trey Young-ish. I don't think that his well, one the, the stats show it. He is not uh, as heavy usage-wise as Trey Young was, but there's just no denying that he needs the ball in his hand. And when he does, uh, Marquette's a pretty good team. You know, I'm not saying that you know him having the ball and having a 40% usage rate would be uh, the absolute key to Marquette being a better team next season than it was this past season. But keep that in mind. Um, number two, uh, Steve Wojciechowski. Made the tournament, Marquette fizzled down the stretch, got embarrassed by John Morant and Murray State, and now enters next season, I I, th- I think, under some real pressure here because losing the Housers, like, I'd rather have both Housers than Marcus Howard. Now, I take Howard over either Hauser bro, but if you could give me both of those dudes or Marcus, I would actually take both Housers over them. So you lose such a significant piece there. Uh, I'm not saying that like Wojciechowski is absolutely on the hot seat. They don't make the NCAA tournament. He's fired. But I think that's fair or not. I, I do think that is on the table for next season. Although Marquette should still make the NCAA tournament with the roster that it has. Um, so you could easily make the argument like, hey, and if it doesn't, like, housers or no housers, uh, 
that's a real problem. And then last one, you can respond to all these as you uh, as you please at your own pace here, GP, um, is where these guys are going to go. Um, a little bit of uh, curiosity if they'll actually like flip to Wisconsin, which would be incredible for that rivalry, <laughs> the Marquette-Wisconsin rivalry. Doesn't get its due for the amount of animosity there. Don't know how likely that is. And then um, shout out to John Fanta. My guy, John Fonta, who who does uh, who does digital stuff and video with the Big East, he actually said that you know there might be just some rumblings that Virginia could get involved. So imagine Virginia two seasons from now, because the, the Housers will sit out next season. They will not play in college basketball, obviously. Neither is a grad transfer. You got a city year, barring getting some sort of waiver clearance, which is just isn't going to happen. They're not facing a coach leaving or anything like that, so they're going to sit. Um, but if Tony Bennett can can pull in those guys, uh, that would actually be a pretty interesting fit overall. But could potentially set up like we think Virginia will be a top five team. Now next season and then you bring in the Hauser brothers along with you know they've he's got you know a decent recruiting class coming in um those players stick around like yes Virginia could be looking at another top 10 team even the year after that so surprising transfer news this is one of the rare instances where it's it's like legitimately meaningful not just like the team that was supposed to have these guys one it's, it's two players not one that's rare okay brothers obviously uh Marquette gets dinged in a major way and then whatever school that these guys go to they have their pick of the lot like there any 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 program would take the Hauser brothers. They are stretch forwards who can shoot better than 40% from three-point range, and they're both getting better. Like, notice will be better. They continue to get better and better. So whatever school they land at, um, the season after this upcoming one, like, they're going to make that team a national championship slash Final Four contender. I think that's undeniable. So, yeah, what we got on Monday was a piece of real big and unexpected news in college hoops. For, so for Wojo, it's now five seasons at Marquette. Um Two NCAA tournaments, but zero NCAA tournament wins. Um, now goes into year six with a diminished roster, and this comes after year five ended, as you pointed out, in a pretty embarrassing way. They were on the verge of winning an outright Big East title. Um, instead, they finished 24-10, and 10, 33rd at Ken Palm. They went 1-6 in their final seven games, just completely fell apart, and now they lose um, two big, big important pieces. I'm with you. If... If my options, and perhaps Wojo didn't know this, uh, maybe he was blindsided, but if my options were get one more year Marcus Howard or keep the Hauser brothers, I would have kept the Hauser brothers. And I know coaches who have um, found themselves in similar situations um, in the past where they go, if, you know, in, in on a surface level, this guy coming back to school would be the best thing. But if this guy comes back to school, I'm going to lose this other dude or lose these two other dudes. And so I need him just to go. And they'll encourage him just, hey, it's time to get on with your professional career. Uh, because big picture wise, it's better for that guy to go. Even if it might not be best for your team next season, it's better for him to go. Because if he stays, he's going to cost you some people. Um, it appears that that might have been what happened at Marquette. That Marcus Howard's return um, you know, led to. In some form, to some degree, Sam and Joey Howes are deciding they don't want to be at Marquette uh, anymore. And so now, uh, you know, they, they are arguably the two best transfers on the market. I agree with you. They could go anywhere they want to go. And for what it's worth, and perhaps it's nothing, but Virginia is the school that somebody hit me with yesterday. Said keep an eye on, on Virginia. They could, they could both end up there. And obviously, you know, I mean, Virginia would be – uh, you know, I've got him number two in the top 25 and one right now, even after losing DeAndre Hunter and Ty Jerome. And if they were to add the Hauser brothers to whatever it is they have two years from now, you know, they, you, you would assume they're preseason top five again, if only because Tony's always got a team that's going to be operating around that level. We would know that he's at least going to have two high level dudes in his program and obviously more than that.
Trivia time. Okay, 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 let's go. <laughs> All right. So, by pure coincidence on Sunday, I was checking in. No Googling as I do this. Um, well, the users can Google, but no no for GP. So, uh, I was checking in on Sunday. I was like, you know what? I want to see how we landed with our top 101 players. So, a couple trivia times related to this very topic. First of all, true or false, Sam Hauser made our top 101 players this past uh, October. I'm going to say false because I don't remember it. <laughs> it is true. Sam Hauser, 84th. Okay. Okay. Where do you think Marcus Howard was on that list? If you had to blindly guess and think back, where do you think we put Marcus Howard in October of 2018 heading into the season on our top 101 players in college basketball list? In the 20s. He was 16th. I thought we did pretty well over, overall. So Howard was 16th. Sam Hauser, 84th. Obviously, Joey Hauser heading into college did not make the list. Now, you mentioned Virginia. All three of their big three did make our list. Which of the three, uh, you know, of the uh, three, I want to put them in alphabetical order so I don't tip my hat here. So you've got, uh, you've got H A E F G. So you got Guy. Do you know the alphabet? <laughs> Guy Hunter Jerome. Hey, G H and J. They're kind of cl- they're kind of they're kind of clustered together there. So Guy Hunter and Jerome. What order do you think they fell in on the list? I'm going to say we had Kyle Guy highest. We did have Kyle Guy highest. What's your guess as to where he was? Uh, 20s. He was 20 on the nose. Yeah. Um, we had Cam Reddish, 19. Quentin Grimes, that was a swing and a miss at 21. Okay, so who was higher, Hunter or Jerome? I'm going to say DeAndre Hunter was higher. DeAndre Hunter was higher. Where's your guess as to where he landed? 30s. You are correct. He was 35th. And then where do you think we slid Ty Jerome into our top 101 rankings? 50s. He was 86. So we were a little bit off on him. But uh, but I'm I, looking back, I, I actually thought we did not have Ty Jerome in the mix. I'm glad we did. Just real quick here. Here was our 1 to 10. R.J. Barrett, Carson Edwards, Luke May, eh, Diedrich Lawson. Not quite that level. Caleb Martin, no. Grant Williams, we were pretty on the button with that. Ethan Happ, I'd argue at seven, we were pretty close. Shamari Pons at eight, a little too high. Nasir Little, way too high. Tyus Battle, 10. Where do, where do you think we had Zion? It's got to be right outside of the top 10. It is. We had Tremont Waters, 11. Mike Dom, 12. Zion, 13. Not an egregious miss, but given how great he was, maybe it was egregious. We had Rui, 14, and then Romeo Lankford, 15, then Marcus Howard, 16. Um, a couple more quick ones. Uh, our biggest miss overall was Jalen Hudson, probably at 28. Uh, something weird happened with his game overall. Um, we had Admiral Schofield, 53rd. Jarrett Culver, 73. On the final fourth thing, we had Bryce Brown, 73. Where do you think we had John Morant? Uh, obviously low. Um, probably had John Morant in the 60s. We had John Morant, 78, and right behind him at 80, we had Fletcher McGee. And we'll go one more uh, small major player, Dylan Windler, who I remember pushing for in the 60s. We had him at 87. Uh, I think you will see him drafted in June. And then last one, he will absolutely be top 10. What player in the 90s, Parrish, will absolutely be in the top 10 when we do this again this upcoming October? What player in the 90s will absolutely be in the top 10 when we do this again? Well, let me look at my top 25 and 1 because I'm going to assume mm-hmm. that they've got to be there. Um, yes. So, 
Um, what player did we have in the 90s that we will definitely have in the top 10? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Miles Powell. No. Hmm. That's not the player. <laughs> I'm going to go with... People listening are screaming this name right now. You know it? What do you mean? Yeah, of course I know it. I'm, I'm looking at the list. <laughs> what do you mean? Yes, I know it. It's trivia uh, time. Trey Jones? Correct. Trey Jones yeah. was 93rd, and then the other player that will definitely be, will be top five. I, I We might even have Trey Jones top five for all I know when we get there. A uh, player that I guarantee will have top five that we had 22nd last season, Cassius Winston, who is returning uh, to college basketball. So th three of the top ten players for sure, maybe three of the top five. You'll have Marcus Howard, Cassius Winston, Trey Jones heading on back, but that's for further down the road. That was a fun little uh, jump back in time just to look at because it's the end of the season obviously brings so much clarity, Parrish, and we try and forecast as best we can with that list, which is always a lot of fun to put together. Thought we did a decent job, but uh, but a few whiffs there as well. You know, Eric Pascal 17th. Uh, you know, regrettable choice, but what can you do? But overall, um, thought we got pretty close. We were real, you know, Grant Williams. I guess it wasn't hard to miss on him because he was SEC Player of the Year. But, uh, but regardless, there you go. The big miss seems like Jarrett Culver. Yeah, Jarrett Culver at sixty-three was it was notable. Um, I, I'd say yeah, I'd say that's uh, him at sixty-three is nearly as bad as Zion, only twelve spots back at thirteen. And Zion being at thirteen. Um, like obviously a miss, but that should serve as a reminder because some people have revisionist history with him. You're right. They're like, uh, he was always – no, he wasn't always. He was not thought of um, this way. Nobody, literally nobody expected him to be what he was at Duke or had him projected. You could not find a mock draft in this world that had Zion Williamson as the number one pick a year ago or even on November 1st. And so – he was quite a revelation. Um, you know, he surprised everybody. And um, it became crystal clear pretty quickly that he was going to be special and the number one pick in the draft. But when we put that list together, um, maybe somebody would have had him sixth or seventh as opposed to 13th. But nobody would have had him in the top three. He was probably coming into Duke. Um, if you talk to NBA people, the, the third most, the, the third best NBA prospect at Duke. Yeah. But, um, R.J. Barrett and, and Cam Reddish. And so, uh, you know, the, the idea that he was always supposed to be what he was, that's just that's just not true. We we watched him become what he was. Yeah. And by the way, his uh, I'm, I'm fine with it, but I was a little surprised by it. Like he dropped his I, I actually thought earlier on Monday, I was like, when is like someone else declared? Oh, and uh, was it Rui? I can't remember. I think it was Rui. And I was like. I, I guess Zion hasn't technically declared yet. Like, I wonder when that's going to happen. And then an hour and a half later, I'm making dinner for the fam, and I get a call. Hey, we got to hop. You got to hop on. Can you hop on CBS Sports HQ right now to talk about Zion? I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, he just declared. I'm like, it's like 5:40, and it's like 5:40 on a Monday night. What? Like now? So hey, good on him. Uh, just did it with a simple Instagram post, and and onward he goes uh, to number one pick status, 
And we now have everyone that's declared from Duke. I think we got Keldon Johnson at Kentucky yesterday. Again, they just keep they keep piling up, piling up, piling up. Once we get all past all this, we'll we'll do our usual April May like draft, like you know, here are the dudes that re returning and who's not. But uh, but I guess Zion and Rui, I believe, unless I'm missing, like I, GP, I've lost track. Like I guess Jared Culver technically hasn't announced yet. But uh, like lottery pick level talent, you had Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter announced on Monday. Uh, but we're just about cleaning up here in terms of the big names that are expected to go actually officially announcing it. Yeah, there haven't been any real big surprises yet in terms of, hey, I'm definitely coming back to school, you know, even though nobody thought I was. Or, hey, I'm definitely entering the NBA draft for, you know, both feet in, even though nobody thought I was going to do that. There haven't, unless I'm missing something, there hasn't really been a big surprise yet. We usually do get like, one or two a year, like a projected top 20 pick who decides he's 100% coming back to school, but we haven't um, we haven't had that yet. And let, let's, Trey Jones perhaps qualifies, but I don't know that he was a definite right. top pick. He was probably in the 20s or 30s. Trey Jones is probably the biggest surprise, and Ashton Hagens, I guess. We talked about them both on the last podcast. They're, they're somewhat surprises, but so far the, the people we thought were going to leave school have, have announced that they are. Uh, leaving school. Before we get out of here real quick, um, Cincinnati has replaced Mick Cronin. John Brannon is the new coach there, so he doesn't have to move very far. He was at Northern Kentucky four seasons, uh, top three in the Horizon League each of the past three seasons, two NCAA tournament appearances. Perfectly reasonable hire for Cincinnati, right? I do think it's a reasonable hire. Um, I thought it was a little bit surprising that in this year where, to me, it seems – there are more than usual. We get them every year, but promotions from within to replace an outgoing head coach with a sitting assistant. You didn't see Darren Savino, who was a longtime lead assistant under Mick Cronin at UC. He did not get the job. Savino will now go out to Westwood. It's actually a heck of a it's a heck of a consolation prize if you don't get the head job at UC. You instead get to go live in LA and coach at a blue blood program. Um, I thought Savino uh, had a real shot. Uh, he loses out to Brandon. By the way, if you want to keep track on all of this stuff, um, go to, go to the CBS Sports app or check cbsports.com. Uh, we have the updated coaching carousel, what's open, what's not, who's been replaced, all that good stuff. Uh, but Brandon's a good hire. Uh, he has done stuff at Northern Kentucky, um, which is a relatively fertile and new program to the D1 ranks uh, in the past six, seven years. He's done good stuff there, so I think that he, uh, he'll have a good shot at, at succeeding for Cincinnati. You know, the, the challenge now is you hope you hired the coach that can uh, exceed what Cronin did in terms of NCAA tournament success, but also try and come close to matching what he did in terms of regular season success. Because as a reminder, I know we've talked about this on the podcast plenty, you know, since he made nine straight NCAA tournaments and getting to, getting to the tournament outside of, you know, five to seven schools should not be taken for granted by any program in America because you will have down years, you will have down periods. But Cronin, despite not being able to bring in top 40 talent uh, almost ever, got Cincy into the NCAAs almost every single year of his tenure. And obviously the run the past nine straight years, it was just that uh, Cincy couldn't couldn't break that ceiling, only making one Sweet 16 in that run. So you hope Brandon can be just as good there. I think he will fall short of that. I'm not you know selling his coaching ability short, just you can't can't expect them. Very few coaches ever 
have made nine straight NCAA tournaments since the field expanded in 85. Uh, but if he can get hot and he can get Cincy to uh, in a Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, then he'll have done his job there. I think it's a good hire, a promising young coach, and all things considered who Cincinnati was looking at. I know Kenyon Martin went out on Twitter at Parrish and kind of killed the process. I don't know if that's over Nick Van Exel not getting the job. I honestly don't know what he was getting at there. Uh, I think Brandon is a very good, very solid hire. Yeah, this is where I do think at Cincinnati they they made a mistake in the process um, because you've got some pretty relevant alums. You know, Kenyon Martin being one who's obviously not afraid to express his opinion. Nick Van Exel, you know, it wasn't just like out of no. Nick Van Exel is like an NBA assistant coach. Um, you know, so it's, it wouldn't have been, you know, if Vanderbilt can hire Jerry Stackhouse, there's no reason you can't, in theory, hire Nick Van Exel. And if I were Cincinnati and I said this, um, I don't know where I said it, somewhere I talk for a living. I, I said, it, you, you got at least take, you got at least take the meeting out of respect, because even if you're not going to hire him and I, I, I would have hired John Brennan over Nick Van Exel. Um, but even if you're not going to hire Nick Van Exel, you got to sit down out of respect and and listen to him and and maybe he'll surprise you or maybe he'll make you want to go that direction but when nick van exel one of the most famous cincinnati basketball players of all time says i want to be the next head coach at cincinnati to not even sit down with him i think even if it's not meant to be disrespectful it it plays that way to nick van exel and to nick van exel's teammates and so you know, I you know now you've got a bunch of former Cincinnati players, you know, it, you know anti-Cincinnati. It, it doesn't mean that John can't mend those fences, but I, I will tell you this: um, you know, Penny Hardaway wanted the Memphis job when Tubby Smith got hired, and they obviously should have just hired him then. But they didn't want to hire him then; they didn't think he was ready. But they still took the meeting. They still sat down with him, and then just explained to him why they're going to go in another direction. Um, but but if if Penny Hardaway wants to meet with you, you meet. And I would say the same thing at Cincinnati. If Nick Van Exel wants to meet with you, I think you need to meet with him. Um, that they didn't has caused this, um, which makes it a little bit more complicated yes. than it otherwise would be for John. You don't want famous Cincinnati players bashing your school, your program on social media, you know, within hours of you getting the job. But um, it is what it is. I think John will do a good job there. Um, obviously, they 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 did talked to Frank Martin and I was told that that was headed that direction for a little while. And then it got blown up in some form by somebody, but um, you know, I, John Brennan has obviously done impressive stuff at Northern Kentucky in a short period of time. And um, he's exactly the type of guy who, you know, deserves this shot and gets this shot. And, you know, I, I think Cincinnati will be fine. I'd bet against anybody making any new hire, making nine straight NCAA tournaments, so when you say I think he'll probably fall short of that, I would I would assume that for literally every coach that's just been hired, um, as you point out, that is never to be taken for granted. I know that Mick didn't get as many second weekends and and you know that kind of stuff that Cincinnati wanted, Cincinnati fans wanted, but making an NCAA tournament nine straight years at any at any program is is impressive, and so that's a tough bar um, to try to reach, but. You know, I'm I'm totally cool with the hire. I think it's a sensible hire. Yeah, and if you're a Cincinnati fan that's finding yourself like, all right, like hopefully, uh, you know, all right, Brandon did okay, but not a big name. When you got Mick Cronin, you know, having come from Murray State, he made NCAA tournaments there in a short amount of time, uh, two and three years. L look what Cincinnati became under him. I understand 
Like, there wasn't the NCAA tournament success, but he turned Cincinnati into an indisputable top 25 program in America annually, big picture, pretty much everything. Um, and Brandon could become something similar to that. You just you just never know. The, uh, not every coach, when he is hired to a top 30, top 40 program in America, is an established name, and they only become such after they take those jobs, are given a chance at those jobs, and then find big picture success. We look up five years from now, maybe John Brandon is uh, considered a top 30 coach in America, or maybe he fizzles out and he's gone in three to four years and Cincinnati moves on and hires Nick Van Exel in 2023. I don't know. I just I don't have a huge issue with the hire. Uh, my last thing here as we get out of here, GP, I will, uh, I will remember Tigers Woods win at the Masters in 2019 for two things. Uh, one, the fact that he did it, and two, when he was on like the 17th hole, you broke the Brandon to Cincinnati hire, and I was like, Parrish, what the hell are you doing right now? <laughs> like Tiger I, <laughs> Tiger I, I, this is about to give us one of the biggest moments in sports history, and Parrish has got the Brandon scoop to Cincinnati. It was the it was the most random out of left field thing I saw the entire week. <laughs> it was, I actually like I was well aware of the timing, and you know how it is when you get news, you get it. You know? Yes. And you know I got the, you know I got a call from a source, and they were like, hey, this is this is going to happen. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to happen, um, but it's not done yet. So, like, maybe just emerge as a leading candidate, you know, the way you word these things. To make it clear, you know this is about to go down, even if it's not technically going down yet. And my, I did consider, like, do I just wait on this? Because, like, Tiger Woods, and the whole world's tweeting about Tiger Woods, and I'm just going to, like, interrupt <laughs> yes. it. And, you know, tweet that John Brandon's going to be the next head coach at Cincinnati. I actually had – and then you just – you you revert to, you know, common sense. And you're just like, you you you, you – you tweet news whenever you get news. You yeah, don't you sure. don't worry about the timing. And so I did get some responses that I expected, like, who gives a S, Parrish? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, Ti Tiger Woods is about to win the Masters. Who cares about John Brandon? I, like, one guy tweeted me. He was like, dude, even John Brandon doesn't care about this right now. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> probably uh, half true, but yes, but very funny. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to give that was the mention. Actually, that was the holdup, and John getting the deal finalized <laughs> with Cincinnati. They were like, hey, listen, let's watch Tiger, and then we'll get back at the table and get this thing figured out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the timing was what it was, but as you know, you – when you get something you can go with, you just go with it regardless of the timing. But I, I was, I, I was, I did not lack awareness of, of, uh, you know, nobody cares about the Cincinnati coaching search when Tiger Woods is walking up 18. Ah, uh, good stuff, man. All right. Well, uh, great to catch up with you. Uh, glad to see we're still floating in each other's lives. And then obviously, you know, we'll, Pods will still be coming as news warrants. We won't be slow on that. And uh, at some point when the uh, – I don't know if it will be the next pod or the one after that, but um, once we have all of the coaching stuff settled that needs to be settled, uh, I think it might be worth like a 15, 20-minute conversation just to kind of recap. Okay, here's who got what jobs. We'll, we'll do some sort of – I don't know if we'll dedicate a whole episode to it, but I think we should dedicate at least some part of a pod on like, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's who landed where, and we'll kind of do some quickie vows. So that will be coming at some point in the next couple of weeks. I wish it were possible for us to just talk for 15 or 20 minutes. I know. I know. <laughs> Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And if you haven't subscribed to CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast yet, please go do that because, no, we will not be podcasting three times a week like we do during the season because there's just not enough to talk about, I don't think. But we will be here at least 
once a week, at least once a week. That's a promise. The days will vary. So the best way to ensure you don't miss an episode or that you actually get it as soon as possible is to subscribe. Then it'll get sent right to your iPhone. So please go do that. Uh, Rate it favorably. Uh, Five stars and nice comments. That's all I've ever asked. And I'll talk to you again. We'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care.